You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margreta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is jail time for saying something positive about oil and gas. Yes, really, that's in a private member's bill before the Canadian House of Commons. Plus, BC's approach to public lands and reconciliation may soon change. Margreta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. As always, I'm glad to be here. Good morning, Karen. Now, Member of Parliament Charlie Angus on Monday tabled a bill, C-372, the Fossil Fuel Advertising Act. What exactly is getting people up in arms? In short, the bill proposes harsh penalties for anyone caught saying anything positive about fossil fuels in Canada. And uh, pieces that have really caught people's attention are the up to two years in jail and a million-dollar fine for energy companies doing that um, and for regular citizens could be a summary conviction and a fine of up to $500,000. Wow. Uh, Well, that's interesting. And first of all, sounds pretty unconstitutional to me. There are also some pretty troubling uh, implications to the freedom of speech, freedom of commerce. Uh, I've seen some commentators call this criminalizing dissent rather than trying to get people on board in a constructive and meaningfully engaged way, like you kind of have to do in a democracy. Um, Also hearing lots and lots of thoughts about jurisdictional overreach, uh, potentially here. Environmental policy, just over the last uh, two decades in particular, has really increased uh, its prominence in uh, the federal domain. Uh, The federal government, um, particularly this uh, current one, has uh, done a lot to assert its uh, jurisdiction there. Uh, But that has come under some fire, uh, and courts have said that there have been cases where they've tiptoed over the line as that uh, domain over the environment relates to the province's rights under the Constitution to manage their own natural resources. Uh, that's essentially the division of powers in our system. Um, but, yeah, more more on the bill that uh, MPN gets put forward. There's also just plain common sense. Uh, 80% of all of the energy we use in the world right now is fossil fuels. It is literally the foundation for the type of modern life and uh, civilization that we have globally right now. And uh, it's a little bit bizarre to, uh, you know, uh, liken it, as uh, MP Angus is doing right now, to tobacco. You know, tobacco was a big industry, uh, continues to be a big one globally, um, had some serious health effects uh, for people. Uh, tobacco didn't keep the world's economy running. Uh, so the comparisons uh, that, uh, uh, you know, the proponent of this bill and his supporters are advancing, eh, they're a little bit bizarre. Um, and... More, more generally speaking, um, we're in an era where we're talking about solutions to climate change. We're experiencing climate change. Everything from you know, cold snaps to floods to high, uh, high heat and extreme uh, weather conditions of all kinds, more unpredictability. These are all consequences of the way our world economy has developed over this industrial era, over 100 years now of uh, putting fossil fuels um, into the mix to power our daily lives. Um, and we're emitting a lot into the atmosphere. That's undeniable. Uh, criminalizing, talking about one of the components of our energy system seems to me like a really bizarre way to approach, approach uh, problem solving. Uh, there's even mentions in the legislation uh, that uh, companies or people would be prohibited from making comparisons between different types of fossil fuels. Uh, so to say that one has a lower emissions profile than another, that would be illegal under the legislation if it passes. Uh, so that's uh, that's a little bit strange, a uh, little bit disconnected from reality, and I think more importantly, uh, establishes a risky and potentially dangerous precedent for how we talk about things that continue to not be resolved in the popular discourse. Because look at it this way: uh, if all Canadians were exactly on the same page about the issue, uh, you know, if it was 
incorporate against the, the, the average citizen, I don't think we'd be uh, in the situation we are now, where a lot of these questions about how we grow our economy, how we regulate uh, and uh, legislate around the environment, um, these things are actively being discussed and debated. And we're trying to chart a path forward that takes into account the, the net of many, many things public opinion in different places, different uh, areas of the country with different parts of the economy, uh, and also the public good. Uh, and that's defined many ways depending on who you speak to. So uh, a lot of work that needs to happen there, but yeah, it seems like a weird way to approach it from the NDP side. Margareta, what are the odds of this legislation passing? Well, I would say conservatively, slim to none. Uh, if it even goes to second reading and uh, in parliamentary speak, uh, that's uh, and taking it from first reading, which is tabled it uh, all the way through to uh, there being a debate on the floor. Um, and whether it goes there relies a little bit on how much business Parliament can get through. Uh, it also relies on whether MP Angus has put this forward because he genuinely wants it to, to go to debate with his colleagues, or if this is just a stunt. Um, and effectively, the House of Commons does a lottery to allocate potential time for private members' business among eligible MPs. And that is to say, MPs who are not ministers or parliamentary secretaries or the speaker or the deputy speaker. Um, and there's a lot of business that isn't private members' uh, business or bills. Um, but on the PMB lottery recently, MP Angus got 17th on the list. Um, so it's possible uh, he actually has one other bill that uh, he's already put into the mix. Um, he could say this is the one he wants to put forward. And at uh, some point in the next uh, sitting or session, you know, we'll get to it. Um, but I think more importantly, even if there are some fringe MPs who support it, and frankly, I think it would be a very bad look for even many members right now of Angus's party, uh, which only has 25 sitting MPs right now, um, I, I think most decision makers in the House of Commons realize that um, we're, we're at a point where uh, we're talking about solutions. Uh, you know, we can't just you know, pretend that uh, uh, a range of solutions is suddenly before us uh, that includes completely cutting fossil fuels out of the conversation, out of the mix, uh, and out of the possible range of options as we talk about economic growth and environmental management. So I don't think it's going to pass. I don't think it's going to become the law. Uh, but what an interesting conversation it's going to be. Then what's the point of it all anyways? Well, besides being a very bombastic way to totally alienate uh, from the federal NDP anyone who has ever worked or works in oil and gas, and, you know, in many parts of Canada, that's a lot of people, a lot of people who are potentially NDP voters, too. Uh, the bill also makes specific reference to um, what it broadly characterizes as the claims that fossil fuel development is uh, good for indigenous communities. Um, well, it, it's skeptical of that. Uh, we actually have very, very good evidence that it is very good for indigenous communities, uh, for the ones that are participating in uh, the responsible development of natural gas, of oil, uh, tons of examples uh, from the prairies, from uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan, the First Nations who own service companies, who are uh, massively involved in um, you know, uh, the transportation of, uh, of fossil fuel products, um, energy products that keep the world's economy running. Um, you know, here in British Columbia, we've been developing a uh, liquefied natural gas industry, LNG, that takes natural gas largely from the northeast of the province, uh, where a lot of it is produced in partnership with indigenous communities, um, all the way through to the coast. Uh, Kitimat, in the northwest of the province, is going to be home very soon to uh, the soon-to-be-completed LNG Canada coastal gas link uh, duo. Uh, so the pipeline goes across the north of the province, deposits uh, the natural gas product in Kitimat, where then it is made ready for transport to Asian markets. 
and the Heisla Nation, as well as many other nations in the immediate vicinity, uh, are getting a pretty good cut of the benefits, everything from jobs to uh, you know, contributions for all the kinds of things that these communities want to do to advance reconciliation on their own terms. Um, so very, very short-sighted of this legislation. But I think strategically, there's partially a goal here to shift what's called the Overton window. Uh, the idea there is you put a very fringe idea into the mainstream, and through exposure, through normalizing it, uh, it, it might become more acceptable over time. That's a bit of a gamble. Uh, it assumes that Canadians are stupid, um, and I think that's a bad assumption to make. We're actually a pretty educated country. Uh, more importantly, we have a lot of economic literacy. Uh, Canadians generally understand how the economy works. Even if it's just on a household level, you know you need energy uh, to fuel your everyday life. Um, so it is quite insulting that uh, this is the approach that uh, Charlie Angus and the NDP are choosing to take. Uh, I also think that this is partially the attempt at a campaign group backing Angus to be quite clever. Uh, they want outrage. In fact, they would very much like to put a spin on anyone opposed to this bill on the grounds of constitutionality or common sense if they fit a specific profile to be dismissed as oil and gas boosters. So I think that's, that's part of the game plan here. Uh, it's a very cynical move. Uh, and frankly, I'd say a waste of parliamentary time. But um, if it backfires, and based on the response I'm seeing so far, uh, people that I wouldn't expect to be coming out against this, uh, it seems like it might be backfiring a little bit at least. Um, it actually, I think, hurts the overall conversation about taking rational, pragmatic, and functional steps forward to fight climate change, to transition economies, to ensure that we are thinking in the, into the long term about what the needs of Canada and the world are going to be on economy and environment. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, whose strategic play works out here, but uh, I'm not seeing big success uh, in the cards for uh, Charlie Angus just yet. Meanwhile, in B.C., the provincial government has come under fire for burying its ongoing consultation on revisions to the Land Act. Would you please explain what's going on and why it matters? Yeah, so uh, in short, I know we only have a little bit of time here, Mike, so I'll uh, just cut to the chase. Um, since uh, 2019, the B.C. government has been on a very, very visible uh, reconciliation agenda. It's been in the cards for much longer than that, uh, but they put in the first legislation in North America uh, to align with the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Uh, in BC, Bill 41, the uh, DRIPA Act, uh, DRIP Act um, was the one that put that forward, then the federal government followed suit, um, and that's forced quite a realignment of a lot of approaches to how government deals with jurisdictional matters. Uh, you know, when uh, governments on a smaller scale are doing things, um, and the provincial government wants them to do something else. Um, you know, division of powers actually comes into play here a little bit, uh, not so much federal, provincial, but provincial, municipal, municipalities, for example, uh, are, uh, you know, they have a lot of questions <laughs> uh, for the provincial government because uh, in uh, other legislation there's been efforts to uh, force them to upzone, uh, to change their community planning, uh, much of which has taken decades to develop. Um, I actually think that's in the common interest. Um, we've had a real issue getting anything built in this province, and we have a real shortage of housing. So from that perspective, um, sometimes uh, blowing things up is important and necessary, uh, although it proves controversial. And uh, insulting, talking with people about it is very important. So the changes that they're now proposing uh, to the Land Act, uh, which it sounds like they may be going back a little bit, I'm, I'm not so sure that uh, they're happy with what uh, was first put out there in, into the fray uh, a week or two ago, um, would essentially put a lot more of the onus 
for handling crown land or public land in British Columbia uh, to First Nations um, that uh, that have constitutional uh, rights of some sort to, to this. Um, the, the way that's interpreted actually varies vast, vastly depending on, uh, you know, whether there's been court cases, uh, whether you're looking at federal or provincial legislation, uh, whether, you know, even you're looking at the capacity of individual communities um, to not make overall decisions, but to actually manage things like permitting and regulation. Um, and that will vary a lot based on a lot of factors. So uh, there's been a lot of pushback. Uh, the consultation was buried uh, on a very, very niche uh, portion of, uh, I think it was uh, one of the provincial department's uh, websites, a law firm found it, and uh, there's been a bit of a fur. You know, this would massively change how uh, the Crown uh, handles public land. It may affect the public's access to public land. Um, so, yeah, I expect there's going to be a lot of discussion about that, but it has put the way that the BCNDP is uh, putting through potentially controversial uh, legislation really under a microscope. I think it's going to continue as we get into the rest of the selection cycle. Margaret, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You take care. Thank you, Mayor. I know